0: Tom L, Everybody, thank you, sir. Hi, folks. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Tom. Mm. Where do you begin at? Eh? I guess I begin at the beginning. I was born into a large family in 1950. with 12 kids. Today, seven of nine of nine out of 12 are self admitted alcoholics. Two of them died from the disease a while ago, within two years. My old man was a drunk. All my uncles were drunk. Most of them died as a result of alcohol. Anyway, in my young life, I suffered a lot of uh, abuse—physical, emotional, spiritual, verbal, any anything you could want to get. Right. Uh, So I grew up uh, being very. what would you call it, Hypervigilance. I had to know where everybody was at all the time in order to feel safe, get away from I was pretty, pretty much alone. Anyway, I, I discovered alcohol when I was 15 years old. I uh, got some beer with another couple of guys, and, uh I got the lion's share of it, and I got drunk on three bottles of beer. But it was the best feeling I ever had in my life. Up to that point, and probably after, was, uh, I didn't feel angry anymore. Didn't want to kill anybody, didn't want to fight with anybody, I just wanted to be happy. And I was for a short while. Till well, I got home and my mother caught me with a junk of wood. <laughs> anyway, from from the time I was fifteen till I was twenty nine, I drank every chance I got. And uh, that was quite a few chances. I, uh, By the time I was uh, 18 years old, I was uh, blacking out regularly. Uh, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have a, a bloody shirt and a bloody nose and wondering where in the hell I was the night before and couldn't remember until I met up with the guys later on. They told me how crazy I was the night before in the barroom fighting and whatnot. Anyway, when I was 21, I got married uh And my drinking stopped for a while i didn't didn't uh didn't completely stop, but it slowed way down. I was more interested in other things at that time and uh got married had a daughter born in seventy two and in nineteen seventy four my drinking had picked up again. I was going to the bars regularly on my way home from work, going up at home drunk few things like that. One 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 day in 1974. In March or February or something. We had a big snowstorm. In St. John's Newfoundland. Where I lived there. Eh? And uh, I went out to shovel the sidewalk. And the next day. I was walking down the sidewalk. In Toronto. I had gotten drunk. Got thirsty. Went to the bar. Got drunk. Went home. Uh, had a fight with my wife got some money and uh went out drinking again and next morning i was ashamed of myself shamed to go home so i went to the airport and jumped on the plane and went to toronto she she discovered she was pregnant shortly afterwards again and she came to toronto and in toronto for the next six or seven years i drank every chance i got uh I was making a lot more money than I was in Newfoundland. I had extra money, in that rate, and uh, I drank quite frequently. Got into some scrapes, into bars and whatnot, and ended up with uh, charges, salt charges and stuff like that for a while. I never, never spent any time in jail. There, ended up uh, either being on probation or getting off or something like that, right? Anyway, in nineteen seventy-eight. I was on my way to work. I was working the afternoon shift, and I went into a bar. I had $2, and I ordered up a couple of draft beers and sat on the table, and I looked at them, and I thought, if I drink them, I'm going to be just as bad as my old man was. And I started to cry thinking about it, and I was absolutely powerless over alcohol in that moment. I picked up those two glasses of beer, and I drank them. And the next year was almost a complete blackout. I uh I fucking drank more than I ever drank. Uh drink at work, drink at home, drink wherever I was. If I didn't have the money to buy it, I'd steal it. Anyway, in 1979, I came out of a blackout and I was in uh Queen Street Mental Health Center, which is a Straight Dragon Hospital on the lockdown ward. And uh Anyway, when I was in there, I'd never, ever heard tell of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but when I was in there, I I heard about it over the loudspeaker. And there was a guy in there, he was a Skid Row alcoholic. And he took me off one day and we went, he got a bottle of rubbing alcohol and some Pepsi. He told me to get a ginger ale and we went in the back alley and he told me, as he mixed the drink, he said, Tommy, you can't have any of this. He said, Because I think this just might be your problem with the alcohol. And he uh he'd say that to me, and then he told me about his brother who was sober for twenty-six years. He lived in Nova Scotia and he hung out with a bunch of crazy bastards and alcoholics anonymous. And he used to repeat to me every time he makes a drink, "Tammy, you can't have any of this because I think this might be your problem." Anyway, I got out of that hospital, and uh, I went back to uh, went back to work. I think it was probably a process of six or seven months I hadn't had a drink. I had gained quite a bit of knowledge while I was in the hospital around alcohol and stuff like that, and drugs. And I knew fully well that it was alcohol and drugs to a lesser degree that had put me in that state that I ended up on a psych ward. Anyway, uh, I did that in uh, about six, seven months, as I said. And I went to a union meeting one day, and there was a bar. The meeting was on the third floor. The bar was in the middle floor. And as I passed the bar, I, I, I had this stop. Well. Uh, Maybe if I have two beers, I never went for one, it was always two. Maybe if I have two beers, you can tell those fuckers what I think of them today. I went into that bar and I had two bottles of beer. And the next morning at four o'clock in the morning, I was in handcuffs, getting taken out of my own residence and uh, taken off to to the lockup for the night. Because I was disturbing the peace. And I stayed drunk then for another four or five months. And the uh, wife kicked me out. And I went and I lived in the bar upstairs. They had room to rent. I rented the room and uh, my routine was I'd, I'd go to work, drink at work all day, go home, go to the bar after work, drink some more there till around eight or nine o'clock and stagger upstairs and fall asleep. Get up next morning, go do the same thing again. I was like that for Four or five weeks. And then my brother and uh, a friend of mine came to the rescue. He got me out of that place. He talked my wife into uh, me going back home. And uh, if I didn't drink. And then I went to a 28-day treatment center in Toronto at the Addiction Research Foundation. And it was a good program. I liked it. I got a lot out of it. It was, it was psychologically based. We weren't too much on AA. Uh, had to attend two AA meetings uh, and then report back to the group what we thought of it. <clears throat> I did that, but what I was doing was the whole time I was in there had uh, was a residence program, so you had to stay there. But we were allowed out at night for a couple of hours to go to a meeting. I'd go home, smoke two joints, and then go back to the treatment center. They never did uh, catch me, but matter of fact, in that center, sometimes during the cross, one of the counselors said, uh, "If if none of this works, smoke a joint, right? Don't take a drink." And I did that without them having to tell me. Anyway, uh, I I uh, after that program, I stayed sober for. Well, I didn't stay sober. I stayed dry for about two and a half, three years, but I didn't go to AA because I wasn't that bad as those two speakers I had heard. Anyway, I uh, I was two and a half, almost three years off it. And then I got drunk and I stayed drunk for six months. And after six months, I decided that I gotta do something and I can't go on like this. When it, one of the memories I have from that six month period is on a Saturday morning I come home and uh, I didn't know where my car is I I found it the next day it was in the parking lot somewhere I left it but I was out drinking all night with some friends or buddies or whatever and uh, when I came home I got a taxi home I got out of the taxi and I couldn't stand up and I crawled in my driveway on my hands and knees and I met my daughter who was ten years old and my son who was eight years old coming out of the parking lot like as they were coming out of uh, my driveway. I was crawling in on my hands and knees, and he had two friends with him. I don't know why I rem- I remember that. I didn't remember nothing else about that night, but I remember that very clearly in an and it haunted me. And about six weeks later, I decided I had to do something. So I went to A, I went to a meeting on a Wednesday night and uh I was pretty crazy when I went there, right? I was I called up uh well let's back up a little bit there. I'd started a new job and uh there was only like six people working at this little factory. And the first day I was there, I was out in parking lot shoveling a load of crotch going around with another guy. And the guy says to me, uh, do you drink? I said, occasionally. He said, I don't drink. I'm an alcoholic. I go to AA. And I said, well, that's fine. I'm an alcoholic. I don't go to AA, so don't fucking tell me about it. And uh, that, that was it with him, right? Anyway, uh, this, at this particular time when I was drinking with my son and my daughter, and that a week or two later, I'm at work. And he got his car out there and he's got a meeting book in there and he's got the 12 and 12 in in the, uh, in the his car. So I stole his meeting book and when I went home I looked up meetings and then I called up AA and they told me it was a big book discussion meeting on Wednesday night at this church <coughs> and it was very close to me. So anyway, uh, I sat there and I was thinking I should take a book with me as a boss. It's a big book meeting. I wonder what do you mean by the big book. And I looked on the bookshelf. and The two biggest books were there was a Bible and a cookbook. And I said, I wonder which one I'll take with me. I didn't take another one anyway. I went to that meeting. And uh, I felt pretty good there. I felt pretty comfortable. Uh, it was a discussion meeting. People shared some of the stuff. They were going on in that, right? And... Uh, I went home. The next evening, uh, I told my wife, I said, I went to an AA meeting last night. And she looked at me and she said, What in the fuck did you go there for? You're not an alcoholic. You'll be all right if you just stay home and drink right, instead of going out. I said, Oh, well, here we go. In my head, I'm going now. I don't have to go to AA. I can go to the beer store now and get some more, right? As long as I drink at home. Anyway, I made up my mind that uh, I was going to do that. I was sat at the kitchen table. My son came out of the TV room and come over. He sat on my lap and he said, "Daddy, I'm so glad you went to AA last night." And I said, "Why?" And he said, "Because I was done sick of seeing you drunk." And he got up and he went off back into the TV room. I got up and I went off to an AA meeting. And I, for the next next twenty years or so. I I went to AA meeting a lot. <clears throat> I got very active in the program. Done all the service positions, of starting with making the coffee and mopping the floor, dumping the ashtrays, and cleaning up after people. In my early sobriety at that time, now let's get, before I got before I lose myself here, I'm going to say, I got I got sober in in uh, I started my recovery in 1979 when I was in that. The Mental Health Institute. That's where I first heard of it and first realized I had a problem, and had a desire to do something about it. I'm presently been in Alcoholics Anonymous for forty years or so, and my dry date, my sobriety date, is uh, February the seventeenth. I'm going to say nineteen seventy. Twenty twenty, when I was seven years, seventy years old, on my birthday, sixteenth of February, I had my last drink then. So I had a couple of relapses there, but for the first time I was in AA. It was, it was over twenty years before I had a relapse, and uh, when when I when I got really active in AA, things began to happen in my life. Right, I uh, I would go into this meeting. And I was probably six or eight weeks going there every Monday night. Plus, I'm going to other meetings in between. I met every day pretty well. And this Monday night, I, I went into the meeting and the same four guys came running at me almost like. And uh, their, their, their questions were, have you got a big book? Have you got the 12 and 12? Have you got 24 hour a day bunk? Have you got a sponsor? Have you got phone numbers? And in my head, I'd be screaming, go fuck yourself. Fuck off and leave me alone. But I didn't say that. I just listened to him and didn't say anything. So this night I went there and I said to myself, fuck this. I'm getting out of here. Enough of this fucking shit. So I, I turned around and I, went, I walked out to go out the door. And the two guys that were greeters on the door, one of them turned to the other one and said uh, loud enough that I could hear. If a newcomer was smart, he'd get himself a sponsor and not listen to anybody else's fucking shit, only his sponsor. And when I heard that, I turned around walked back in the meeting and see this guy there. It's the weirdest fucking guy in the place. He had all the earrings in all his ears and everything, and he dressed kind of weird. He was at the first meeting I went to, and I kind of liked what he had to say at that meeting. And he was only sober for a year at the time, but for some reason or other, I thought he was the only guy that was sober in the meeting. Everybody else was fucking lying. How could anybody have five years or 20 years of sobriety? So I walked up this guy and I asked him to be my sponsor. And uh, he done the most amazing thing. He didn't say yes and he didn't say no. He took me up to the literature rack and he pulled out two pamphlets on sponsorship. He gave me one and he kept one and he said uh, I'm going to take this home and read it over. You take that one home and read it over, and we'll meet tomorrow evening for coffee and we'll discuss it. I said, okay, fine. And he agreed to be my sponsor, and I agreed to have him, and he still is today, even though I don't talk to him very often. <clears throat> anyway, right away he got me to join the group. Then he got me active by being in the kitchen and stuff like that. Right? So anyway, I go on, I uh, my life changed drastically, right? I spent a lot more time with my kids, and my family. Uh, I was uh, started to go back to school. I started off and take a little course at night school. And that ended up eventually a couple of years later, I, I went to college and uh, done some studying at college, psychology, addictions and mental health, and uh, ended up... Uh, through that getting a job through my union uh running an employee assistance program for him, and I was at that for over twenty years anyway uh i i also after that after I went to college, I went to two different uh places one of them was a uh, process of doing uh, uh anger work, and the other one was Gestalt uh, uh school of Toronto. And I went there for, I don't know, about seven years part time, learning about how to do counseling and stuff like that and doing my own work. Uh, so anyway, after 20 years, uh, I think I'm about 19 years sober, uh, my daughter was living with me at the time. My son was out on his own and uh, she moved out, got married and moved out. And I'm home alone. And now I had quit smoking pot when I was probably six or seven months sober. I hadn't touched any. And I had a Tupperware full up in my cupboard that my brother had left there when he was visiting Nova Scotia. So I took that down one night and I said, I wonder what that would be like now. And I rolled up a joint and I smoked it. And I smoked just about every day from then until last year. So anyway... uh, I was out about 19 years sober, and then I was I was busy at other things, so I stopped doing stuff. Right. Number one, I stopped going to my own group on Monday nights. Number two, I stopped going to jails, putting on AA meetings. I stopped going to the hospitals putting on AA meetings. I stopped uh, attending meetings where a lot of people knew me. i go to different parts of the city and go to different meetings. And uh, I was 20 20 and a half years sober and I was out with my wife and uh, friend one night and I ordered up a glass of wine. Now, shortly before that, I had a tobogganing accident and I broke my back and I was in bed for three and a half months and I was on some pretty heavy duty painkillers. It was fine. I was off of them by this time. I picked up the gun, and uh, I w- I was completely bankrupt inside. Right, my uh, my my will my will had died. I didn't have any will left to do the things that I needed to do. I didn't have the will to meditate. I didn't have the will to pick my literature up and start reading. So by this time, I was completely depleted. From the benefits that I had gotten from attending meetings, talking my problems over with somebody else, sharing my story, stuff like that. I had stopped doing that. And and therefore, I I didn't have any any energy left to do (coughs) what I needed to do. So I returned to drink when the thought came to my mind. I just acted on it without even thinking about it. And that lasted a very short time, one weekend. The funny thing is how quick things came back to me. I, that was a Friday night. A Saturday morning, I woke up and uh, didn't have any money in my pocket. So I went to my wife's purse, and I took the $10 bill and her credit card. <coughs> and I went to the bar. Now, all I had to do was say, Peg, you got any money? And she'd give me whatever I wanted, right? Or she'd give me her bank card to go get some if I wanted that, right? But no, my old habit of sneaking around and stealing came back instantly. So I ended up at the bar, had a glass of wine, first glass of wine on Saturday morning around 11 o'clock, and uh, drank all day Saturday, going to different bars. But the strangest thing was happening to me I'd go into a bar, didn't know anybody there. I'd have a couple of drinks, and then I turned to look, and then Reuben'd be there, or Joe'd be on the other side of me. They were AA members that I had known. They chased me around all day, right? Even the dead ones were there talking to me, right, in my head or whatever. But I could actually see him. So anyway, Monday morning, I was so sick I didn't drink, and uh, I tried to go to a meeting that night. But this time, like all the fucking craziness, came back to me, right? The insanity that I had ignored for the twenty years, right? I listened to people saying, "Oh, just turn it over. God will take care of it." Here, Jesus, take this one. I don't want it anymore. Right? Stuff like that. The whole time I was in AA, I tried to do it their way. I tried to, I tried to pray. I even joined churches and 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 done some stuff. And I, I enjoyed the, the, the one church I was in, member for a couple of years. I, I really enjoyed it. There was no preaching at me. That The uh, it was a unity church. As a matter of fact, the first day I went there was a Sunday, and this woman was up uh, speaking at the pulpit. She was the minister. And uh, she shared an event from her life and from uh, the Friday before. She said she had been to a certain street to see her counselor, and she was walking down the street, and all those voices were going off in her head. Right? And I knew that very well. And she said, I turned my eyes up in my head, and I said, shut the fuck up. And she you could hear a feather drop in that church that morning. Well, I I, I bought into that right away, and then was a very active jerk. Along with going in into jails and stuff with A.A., I started going in with that group, and we didn't go in there and preach Jesus or the Bible. We went in there and we taught meditation, we taught massage, we taught different things that people had in the day, and we had a group of fourteen prisoners. None of them was there to get out because every one of them was in for murder, and there were none of them eligible for parole for twenty five years. So they were coming to the meeting. Because they wanted to. And I, I made such a difference. In, getting, uh, in an AA meeting in prison. Mostly you get people who were there. Because they wanted to get off the range. Or they wanted to impress somebody to get out. Anyway I had done that. And. Uh, I couldn't get it. There's no way could I believe. In the God that they were talking about. In AA. The ones that talked about it. I, I, I just couldn't get it. Because my early. Upbringing, I was Catholic. <clears throat> my mother was a staunch Catholic. My father didn't go to church at all. Well. He stayed home. He seemed too sick to get out of bed from the booze. And uh my mother never preached to us. She never forced it on us. She, she let us find our own way once we got a certain age. Anyway, in 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 cate- catechism, we were studying about God, and they were talking about the death of Jesus on the cross. And that was fine. Uh, he died. He, he got buried. And he put a big rock in front of the tomb. And a Sunday morning or the next day or whatever, the rock was gone. This is what the teacher was saying. And there was no human power could have removed that rock. Right? That's what she said. And I'm like seven or eight years old and, and thinking. Of no, no human power could move that fucking rock. How in the fuck did he get it there in the first place? so I asked that question I said well if there's no human power I could remove it how did he put it there in the first place well what a fucking beating I got that day right and then that was going to call me an anti christer and uh, two or three other fucking things and going to burn in hell and whatever anyway there was no way I was buying into that shit and uh Anyway, now I'm in AA and I'm trying to hold a line, right? Because I'm afraid if I say what I really mean, what I really believe, which was nothing, then uh, they were going to kick me out, right? And early in my sobriety, I heard an atheist speak and he gave a damn good talk. And I I was really impressed with him. And uh, after the meeting... I was listening to people; they were criticizing. Him. I thought they were going to fucking take him out and hang him, the way they were talking about him, right? Because he didn't believe in God. So that scared me even more. I'm not saying nothing now. <laughs> so I done all the do things in AA. I got sobriety in AA then, but I got it by doing common things. So let's talk a little bit about spirituality, enough about fucking booze and stuff, right? I don't know what spirituality is, what other people's meanings to it and stuff is. But my meaning, when I, when I say the word spirituality, when I hear it, what I basically mean is, as I said, so in the big book and several other literature places and everything, that having a psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Well, I call it doing acts in my life to change my behavior, doing little things that I need to do in order to feel good about myself, in order to stop hating people, in order to stop hating myself, and to strive to be of service to other people. That's what I I, I believe spirituality to be. So my first spiritual experience in Alcoholics Anonymous was when I was a couple of months sober. And up to this point, I had gone to work every day, and I fucking hated I hated AA. I hated that, that I had to go to those meetings. And I had a couple of guys at work. I fucking hated them because every day when I go back to work after lunch, there'd be two bottles of beer sitting on my machine, and a joint rolled up for me. And I would fucking stay there all afternoon. I wouldn't touch them. I'd leave them there and I'd just do my work and leave them there. They'd disappear after the third break. Anyway, I hated those two guys. And I hated every fucking thing about my life. And this night I'm at the meeting. Everybody's gone. The meeting is over. I'm mopping the floor. And this is what's going on in my head. I'm such a fucking sucker. All those bastards are up to the now getting drunk. And I'm here like goddamn fool cleaning up after. Mop, mop, go back and forth. And anyway, by the time I I got the floor all mopped and the place put in order, I turned the key in the church door, and I breathed a sigh of relief. That's over, and I went home. I went to the bathroom and I had a big shit. And that big shit to me was a spiritual experience. Because the moment I had it and the relief come out of it, I had that same experience that I had when I drank first. That freedom of uh, anger gone. I had a feeling of gratitude that I had another day over with, and the tension was gone out of my body. And I was constipated for that whole time, three months, and that I had a lot of trouble going to the bathroom, but this night I didn't. So my first spiritual experience was a pretty shitty one, and it was a good one. Anyway, as I went on with with, with recovery and whatnot, uh, I started to notice things about myself. I'm in a supermarket, and I'm in the lineup, and I'm cursing and swearing in my head at the cashier because she's so goddamn slow. And those people are, are, are just diddling and I get up to the cash. Pay for it and go out and go on crazy in my head. I ain't fucking got back here. And uh this day I'm in the up and that rate, and I'm thinking, man, this is absolutely fucking crazy. I've got to do something to change this. I can't can't live like this. And I get up to the fucking cashier after six people front of the line of me. And I turn around and I walk back to the end of the line. And I done that and I start doing that frequently. I start doing it at the bank. I started doing it at grocery stores more often. And one day I decided, I don't have to do this anymore. This is my place in line. I'm going to claim it. nobody getting ahead of me. And it just transformed by me taking action. It transformed that I had a right to be in that line. I had a right to not have to get out and go back and let somebody go ahead of me. And I didn't have a right to curse and swear at that cash register. And I didn't have a right to uh, curse and swear and be ignorant to the people who were in front of me in line. Now, that might seem like a small, crazy thing, but that was life changing for me. Because that attitude began to take over in other areas of my life. I began to have tolerance for other people. I began to have uh, a much more uh, serenity in my life. I was still fucking nuts, right? And and times that would act out and work out, right? So anyway, uh after I had that first relapse, I came back to AA pretty short order. And uh I stayed in AA for another twelve years, but now it was uh it was completely different, right? I wasn't near as active as I was before. Number one, I went to my own meeting. I went to a couple of other ones that I picked. And I didn't make a lot of friends. I mostly said to myself, if I was asked to do something, I'd do it. But I took care of my own group. I was active in my own group. That was basically it. I, uh, I, I was also much more wary about people talking about God and stuff and staying away from them. And uh, after 12 years of that, I moved from Toronto. I moved back to my hometown. And I started hanging out. I'm still smoking pot, right? That whole time. Hanging out with the uh, guys that I grew up with, going to the sheds and uh, smoking weed and watching them drink. And after a while, i think I'm not an alcoholic. If I was an alcoholic, I would have been drinking months ago. Right? Stuff like that started to happen in my head. I'm not going to any meetings now. So anyway, I uh, I started to drink. And I remembered the piece in a big book where it says, uh, if you're not convinced that you're an alcoholic, step up to the nearest bar. You can diagnose yourself. Have a few drinks. Try it more than once. Yeah. and uh, you can diagnose yourself that way so I would think of that every time i go drinking I would think of that and uh, over about a year maybe a year and a half I was drinking that rate my drinking began to increase and then it uh, comes down to one uh, uh, morning I'm walking home from an all nighter about 4 o'clock in the morning I'm staggering around the roads in my village and. Going home, hoping nobody sees me. And then I start thinking about my old man again. How many times had I met him on the road that he could hardly stand up? Drunk and staggering around going home when I'm on my way to school and stuff, right? Holy fuck, what am I doing to myself? Shortly after that, it was, uh, I, was, I began to think about the AA again. I began to think about, you know, I think I am an alcoholic. Right. You know, it's, uh, I don't seem to be able to stop for very long. Every time I, uh, start feeling worried or scared, I run to the bottle. So on my 70th birthday, uh, <laughs> I went out for dinner with my wife and my sister. And, uh, I ordered up a double whiskey. And I said, Cheers, guys. This is my last drink. And I took it. And that was my last drink. Shortly after that, I decided that uh wasn't good enough just to quit drinking. I had to take some action in my life. And I decided to go for treatment. And I did. I ended up getting in treatment a couple of months later. And it was the best thing that happened to me in my life. Because, number one, they weren't preaching AA to me. They weren't preaching God to me. <coughs> they... uh. They were using a psychological approach. I got a, a dual diagnosis. I got the proper uh, assessment for my mental health, which was pretty bad. I got diagnosed with uh, several things, as a matter of fact. But the most important one was uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it really fit. And the text that program was the most amazing after-care program you could ever get. I got to see a psychologist on a weekly basis. I had two online meetings a week at uh, her aftercare. One of them was a a discussion one. And I got involved in a trauma program, 14-week trauma program, a couple of hours a week, going over to, I think there was 14 of us in the group. And that really, really helped me accept myself. It helped me look at and understand the nature of my mental illness and what caused it. And it also helped me understand all the psychological stuff that I'd been reading and studying over the years and how to apply it to myself. So that that really, really changed my life. And then I started attending AA. (coughs) I found online Zoom with secular meetings and I really, really took to it like a duck to water. I like what happens here. I like the way people share. And I like that uh, they don't. The, the majority of people in secular AA are not putting down mainstream AA. They're not uh, putting down people because they believe in God. They're basically sharing their own experience, strength and hope with all of us that they may recover and that we may recover from alcoholism without having to believe in some dogma bullshit or something that somebody else believes in and we can do that basically the most of us can do that without having to shit all over somebody else because they have a different belief and i really really like that anyway uh i think that brings me pretty close to uh to an ending of my talk it seems like i'm drying up here uh I really appreciate, uh, Mark, you asked me to come speak today. Uh, I hope somebody got something out of what I had to say. And I thank you all very, very much for my sobriety. Thank you.